Hi everyone, I'm Rosemary Miller here with Stephen Ehrlich, the director of Forbes Digital Assets, here to discuss the latest in the crypto space. Thank you so much for joining me today, Steve. Thanks, Rosemary. So Steve, about last week, Bitcoin approached 45,000 for the first time in about 19 months, and it's come down since then. Could you tell us what happened? Sure, it all really just comes down to, to three simple letters, ETF. Uh, which I know we've spoken about uh, in previous discussions. Uh, ETF really just stands for Exchange Traded Fund, and it's this very popular investment vehicle that uh, many people in the industry uh, expect to finally be approved by the SEC early next month and could theoretically usher in hundreds of billions or even trillions of, of dollars into Bitcoin specifically in, in the coming months and years. And uh, I mean, and I think there's a lot of posturing right now um, amongst investors to try to ride this wave, get ahead of it, and um, and, and just the fact that um, Bitcoin markets and some other crypto uh, markets in general are still a little shallower than they were prior to the collapse of FTX and, and the bear market of, of 2022, which continued into uh, at least the first half of 2023. Uh, when there is a sharp move in either direction, and in this case, it's usually upwards, uh, that can lead to um, uh, short squeezes or basically liquidations for investors that have, have bet against the price of Bitcoin, which can lead to um, surges higher. And that's kind of what happened, um, which is why Bitcoin approached uh, $45,000, which you mentioned. And, and that date is actually pretty symbolic for the industry because uh, 19 months or so ago, uh, coincides with May 2022, and that's when Three Arrows Capital, one of the most prolific and was seen to be one of the most sophisticated investors in the entire crypto ecosystem, collapsed, um, uh, and and that and they fell following the collapse of a, a stablecoin system called Three Arrows, excuse me, called Terra Luna, uh, Terra USD. But but that point is symbolic because that was kind of um, the the catalyst that led to all of these other bankruptcies that happened beforehand. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned ETF at the start. How can your your typical everyday investor or trader take advantage of ETFs? Yeah, and that's the great part about this because uh, ETFs are available to pretty much anybody with a brokerage account, uh, as opposed to having to go to Coinbase or Kraken or Gemini or wherever and deal with the headache of having to authenticate yourselves. I mean, sometimes it even comes down to holding up a a handwritten sign with a date with a picture to prove that you are you and that you're doing this in that particular day. Now you can just go through Robinhood or Fidelity or Schwab or, or Vanguard or whoever you know and purchase one of these products like you would buy a share of Apple. And, and there's a lot of blue chip firms that are trying to, to do this. I mean, those are the, the BlackRocks, the Fidelities, Invesco's, X and so on and so forth. So it's it's brands with significant brand equity that, that are putting their names behind this. And and the other reason too, and I think this is an important distinction to make, why this is seen as such a bullish event and not necessarily a buy the rumor, sell the news event that we've seen in the past when a Bitcoin futures ETF started trading in the fall of 2021 or when Coinbase went public in April 2021. And, and that's because um, for, this will be a spot ETF, which basically means that for every share that gets issued onto the market, somebody actually has to go and buy that Bitcoin. Um, people, a futures ETF, it's a little complicated, but basically people are um, rolling together derivatives contracts that sort of anticipate the price of Bitcoin. Those get rolled up into a security and uh, no actual Bitcoin actually has to change hands. 
in this case, it, it would be different. So um, that's another reason why people are getting excited uh, about this and, and think that um, this particular catalyst will lead to further growth as opposed to, uh, as, as opposed to, again, a, a, a buy the rumor, sell the news event that we've seen in the past. Mm -hmm. And also, crypto has been discussed a lot with our uh, current presidential candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy. And what what's the current state of crypto regulation right now? Are we inching closer to getting any kind of framework or or is it still kind of in the wind? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, Vivek, um, I mean, he's certainly been doing the crypto conference circuit. Um, as far as I can tell, he is the only presidential candidate with uh, what he would call a comprehensive uh, crypto platform. And I'm happy to discuss some of the key tenants right here. Uh, I, I think the word comprehensive might be a, a bit too far because I mean, it really comes down to, I think, three key tenants. I mean, one, um, the idea that like code is speech and is therefore protected by the First Amendment. I mean, just like you and I are, are talking and can say whatever we want within certain um, certain boundaries. Uh, um, coders, his belief is that um, that should be protected under the First Amendment. And the, the practical implementation for this is something like um, sanctions that the Treasury enacted against Tornado Cash. Uh, Tornado Cash is what's known as a mixer in crypto world. And that's just kind of a, 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 I guess, a set of smart contracts that can help kind of break the link between the sender and receiver of a token. And um, the benign uses are to kind of help uh, maintain privacy in transactions. Obviously, the um, malignant ones could be theoretically, uh, it could be used for money laundering. And um, and so that's kind of like a, a case that epitomizes the debate um, from a Vivek point of view and many crypto libertarians, um, tornado cash is not necessarily what should be sanctioned and it should not be what kind of gets taken out of circulation. It should be more going after the bad guys. And and that's sometimes the, the, the push and pull that comes with living in a democratic society. But that's, that's one part of it. Uh, the second part is this idea that uh, People should be allowed to self-custody their own assets. They should not be penalized for this. Uh, many people, and, and I think we learned that lesson harshly last year, if you keep digital assets on an exchange like like FTX and you, you pull up your app, you see your balances, uh, you don't, you, or you pull up your balances, um, the only way to know those coins are actually there uh, is when you try to take them out. And then FTX's case, um, they were not able to. Uh, something similar with, with Gemini. Um, that's another exchange based here in the U.S. That, that partnered with a company to provide a yield product where they lend out customer deposits to earn yield and then give it back to the customers. And, and that's currently in bankruptcy proceedings. So sometimes um, to avoid that sort of counterparty risk, people like to hold their own tokens in their own wallets where they control like the private keys or the passwords. And, uh, and, and this has been another rallying cry for crypto because uh, what they want is for people to be able to transact privately on a peer-to-peer -peer basis without intervention from the government. Um, in this case, actually, there, there's another um, example that they point to, the Canadian trucker protests in the fall, excuse me, in the winter of 2022, when the, the Ottawa government sort of like superseded in to prevent um, truckers from raising money through, through crypto donations. In fact, Warren Davidson, a, a Republican congressman from Ohio, put together a bill, introduced a bill in February 2022 called the Keep Your Coins Act, which is very similar to what Vivek is saying here. And then the third part of what Vivek is kind of pointing out, and, and I think this is sort of the most amorphous part of his whole proposal, is just the idea of letting people be free to innovate. What does that mean? It's it kind of, I think in some ways it's in the eye of the beholder. Um, sure, we want people to be able to innovate. I mean, Vivek is very much against sort of the 
um, the bureaucratic state, the idea that Congress should be the one to pass laws, and, and he's pushing back against uh, what he sees as unelected bureaucrats in the form of regulators, which, although they are part of the executive branch, and that's sort of how they fit into the democratic process, um, perhaps due to sort of the intransigence within Congress, these uh, these bodies are taking on broader roles than maybe they're supposed to. I guess at least that's his his contention. And uh, in crypto, the, the, the boogeyman is Gary Gensler, the SEC chair, who very famously has um, equivocated on saying whether or not virtually any asset is a security or a commodity. Bitcoin is the only asset that he's um, come out and said is a is a commodity. So I, I really think that, like in particular, his Vivek's proposal aligns with I think like general themes that are pervasive throughout the crypto industry. But there's a big difference between being a candidate and being able to kind of stay in this world of whatabouts. And um, although it's obviously unlikely that he will become president. Uh, if, he ha- if he has to start dealing with the practical implementations of some of these trade-offs, uh, I-, I think he may need to rethink some of his proposals. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Steve. Thanks for having me.